At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Women to Watch is an intimate look into the lives of prominent and influential women leaders from around the world and the challenges they faced on their journey. It's the real story behind her title. Join us every week to hear more stories about women from around the world and in your own communities at womentowatch.net. Do you stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. For the big story on Action News. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch. I'm Sue Rocco, and it's so great to be here. We have a really wonderful show for you this week. Um, Before we get started, I have a big announcement. We have a brand new um, sponsor of Women to Watch, and we're joining forces with Visit Philly, um, who's going to be bringing us wonderful updates and exciting news about the city of Philadelphia. Uh, around events and hospitality. So I'm very, very excited to um, announce that new partnership. Joining me in just a moment will be Jenna Karath. Jenna is Vice President of Startup Development, and she is also the head of, um, excuse me, Comcast, NBC Universal Sports Tech, also here in Philadelphia. So we're going to have a great conversation. Um, and as always, stay with us during our breaks, where you'll hear from our exclusive watch team, of corporate partners bringing you updates and news from their companies and their industries. Um, If you'd like more information on the show and you wanna see who's coming up next in our lineup, you can always visit womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. So now I'm very excited and honored to welcome to the show, Jenna Karath. Pleasure to be here with you. Hi, Jenna, it's great to have you. Thank you so much. Well, it's an absolute honor. Our intro call, um, I felt like I could talk to you for hours, so I'm excited about this opportunity, and it's just a great time to kind of be introspective about life and the fun journey. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's all about the introspection, right, and kind of digging digging in and, and figuring out um, lessons about our, our life journey. So in reference to that, I wanted to start off um, to talk about your relationship with your grandmother growing up and why she was so important to you? Yeah, my my grandmother, she had six children, a very strong woman, never learned how to drive, um, but had the kindness of her heart that touched so many people. 
I think we shared a picture of me on um, our little porch sitting next to her. And I would just say that she taught me so many little things that especially as I get older, I value that much more. This too shall pass, you know, life and giving you more experiences and perspective. But for me, she represents kindness and what you can bring to the world. And so I always try to keep a little piece of that in my heart with her. That's so nice. I think it, that's such a um, you know simple statement about this two show pass. It, it's it's become very cliche, but it's so true. It is true. It's so so true. Um, tell me about um, your family and upbringing, and what kind of um, messaging you received as a young girl. I know you were an athlete, and we will talk about that because I think it's such a tremendous opportunity for girls, especially to play sports. Um, but what was your household like? What was what was your upbringing like? So for the first five years, I was in Florida. I was born in St. Petersburg, Florida, very close to my grandma, grandpa, lots of aunts and uncles. I was the first grandkid, so I got showered with all the love. Um, and when we were five, my mom and I actually moved to Colorado Springs. And it was a big shift and a big change. It was a brand new place. Um, she moved for her career. Um, she's incredibly smart, very talented, graduated first in her class, uh, in wow. organic chemistry of all things wow. and wow. was always an example to me of of intellect and and um and working hard um at the same time she made it all the way up to a director level in military defense which is even more remarkable as a woman but also as a woman with a physical disability so she has spinal muscular atrophy um fortunately she can still walk but she's in a wheelchair a fair amount of the time and so I think that did sort of change my upbringing to, um, I think I grew up pretty quickly as a kid and I was an only child till I was seven. Um, shortly after we moved to Colorado, um, she met um, and married her second husband, my sister's dad. And so as much as I think of us as a unit of three, um, I, it was very much you know, a, a women-led household and I had her as a role model of just hard work and ethics, but truly being somebody that valued education, not only, you know, undergrad, but MBA, went on to get her behavioral sciences degree. Um, but again, I think for me, is I, I found so much that I learned from her in terms of that love of curiosity and reading and um, being in an intellectually challenging household that mm. challenges you to think and, and um, have conviction behind your thoughts. But at the same time, I would say my life has probably been shaped mostly by being an athlete. That's really, truly what taught me about teamwork and grit and resiliency and so many of the life lessons that come with that. Um, it shaped where I went to college, running for Baylor University. And so it's exciting to have it kind of come full circle for me and be at that intersection of sports and technology and um, the opportunity to work with and invest in founders to really push our products forward when it comes to sports experiences and fan engagement. That, your mom, mom is so, so impressive. I mean, really, to have a physical disability to start, you know, um, it makes everything else harder. And I, I wonder, was that, did you have any fear around that? Or was she just such an example for you that you looked at it as, well, perhaps she might be different from the other moms. Look what she's accomplishing and doing. Yeah, I think it was a big example of that. But it was also at the same time an example that 
at the end of the day, um, she probably couldn't relate to why I gravitated so much to athletics and sports. Um, but for me, it, it truly was what defined me as a person. I loved that interplay between sort of physically challenging myself to see what I was capable of, but also that mental toughness. And I think my mom had that mental toughness as well. She maybe didn't have the physical piece and probably couldn't relate to why that was such a draw for me, but mm -hmm. supported me all the same. Yeah, I, I would say, um, <clears throat> I think anyone who plays sports has a sense of adventure as well. Yes. And you took the opportunity to go to Germany um, as an exchange student. And so uh, you were 15, I think, at the I time. Was 15 years old. Yeah. yeah so that's young to, to just say, I'm going to go to another country. I mean, a lot of college students do that. But what were you hoping for um, in that journey? Well, it probably speaks back to my competitive nature. I'm very achievement oriented in particular, but it was an opportunity where four children, or really children, because I was 15 at the time, were chosen. Um, it was um, an opportunity to spend a year overseas. Um, I knew exactly one year of German. So I knew how to, wow. you know, ask where the train station was in the restroom. And then if they answered, it was far too quick. And I could not understand a word of what um, was being said. But it was truly such an eye-opening opportunity for me. And the trust that my mom had to let mm -hmm. me go on that big adventure for an mm -hmm. entire year in a foreign country. And, you know, I think back, <laughs> our daughter recently um, asked about summer camp. And two weeks. And at the time, you know, she would have been nine at the time. I was like, oh, my goodness, summer camp. But it was it was just a <laughs> reminder of like, hey, if my mom could let me go to Germany and have this amazing experience and have the, the belief that I was strong enough to handle that, then, yeah, summer camp and that independence. Let's let's let her have that. Yeah. Uh, but Especially it was if he's asking for it. Right. <laughs> he's exactly. initiating. You're not saying I'm sending you to camp. She she wanted to do it. Exactly. And. I was incredibly fortunate. I was there when the wall came down. So um, it was an experience to see through the eyes of my host family. They were originally from East Germany, had actually spent time in prison. Um, they were caught the first time escaping over the border. Wow. And to wow. watch it, history unfold through their eyes. If you imagine, they, they left their family, their friends behind and did not think that they would ever get an opportunity to see them again. So. You know, suddenly the the home was opened up. People that they hadn't connected and didn't think they'd ever see again um, filled that home, and it was amazing to watch that through um, that personal experience. Uh, it was also part of a scholarship program, so we did a presentation in Berlin. So I was there in February, a few months after the wall came down. One of the most visceral memories of all time. Um, a group of us on that program, you know, we were traveling all around the city and taking it in. And you could, whether the wall was there or not, you could see the difference. There was color on one side, there were signs. On the other side, there wasn't. And we actually <laughs> talked some police officers into letting us stand on the wall and take a picture. So this is, you know, way back in 1989. So of course, next day you drop that camera, the back opens up, it exposed the films. We're like, oh no, we're gonna, we'll go back. We'll try to recreate it. We might not be on the wall, but that section of the wall was gone. We were experiencing history. Oh, oh. it must've sent, when you came home, I would imagine you had a new sense of gratitude for for the life we have here. Absolutely. It, it um we are afforded opportunities here that uh, I think we can often take for granted. Um, I think the only 
experience that we've all gone through together was COVID that, you know, left all of us unimpacted. Otherwise, a lot of times you're reading headlines of something tragic that's happening elsewhere. And it's hard to put yourself in those shoes and really experience what that must be like. And um, so that was probably my greatest appreciation for, um, you know, it wasn't about memorizing dates and times for a test in history. Right. I experienced it. Yes. And um, it was visceral and it was something I will never forget. I've often said I would not trade those experiences for anything, yet I would never do it again <laughs> because it was um, what I faced during that time was was quite a bit. My grandfather actually passed away when I was there. Oh. So it was the first significant family death that I had ever dealt with. And I was alone. I wasn't oh. able to come back. And and at the time, you know, I would talk to my mom once a month <laughs> and my sister once a month. And so it was um, it was something very difficult I had to go through on my own. But fortunately, I connected really closely with um, with a friend in in the first month of it. You were in this language and family assimilation and and it was really to ingrain a little bit more on the language and the culture and um and we used to write letters. We'd send books back and forth to each other. And I wrote her a letter and she got on a train the next day and came down and let me just cry and tell her about my grandfather who she'd never met. Right. Wow. And I'm, as you're talking about that, I'm thinking about how therapeutic it was. We used to write letters. Yes, I know. <laughs> it took a very long time to get a response. But I have letters that, you know, I, my, my uh, summers at the Jersey Shore writing to my best friend who I miss so much um, and waiting for those letters to come back. Yes. But it is a therapeutic thing to do. It is a very therapeutic thing. We, we have a, a much more sort of, um, it, it's not something that we hold on to, but my daughter and I, um, I got this from my, my niece when I was visiting. Um, she had written in um, dry erase board on the mirror, instructions to her brother um, on how to put product in his hair so it wouldn't get too frizzy in the Florida humidity. And there was just something about that moment that I was like, it was just such a cute, sweet little message to her brother. And so the next, when I got home from the, um, from visiting, I did it for the first time and wrote a little message to our daughter. Oh, and it's just become a thing where I leave a little message for her on the mirror every night. And sometimes she responds to me. <laughs> she writes little <laughs> messages back. And, yes, we erase <laughs> And so it's it's become kind of like our sweet little way of communicating with each other. Yeah, better than a text. Yes, you know, far better, more personal. Um, so I want to talk about your your athletics. And again, I I'm always impressed, probably because I wasn't an athlete. I you know I played CYO, volleyball, softball, but you know never did I consider myself an athlete. And um, I'm real. I know it's it's a big part of your life. And my first question is, how does it how do you think it affects the way you work today? It's uh, a great question. So sports shaped every aspect of how I approach life. I think it is because it's achievement based, because it's something that you have to set a very clear and distinct goal. This is what I'm going after. Um, developing a plan for how you're going to get there and executing it on it every day. It just taught me this resiliency. You know, when the race doesn't go well, you pick yourself up and um, you learn from that and you step back on the line and you see what you're made of. And I love the rigor of that. And I love the mental aspect of it, too, that it is, um, you know, how do you show up in those moments? Not just, you know, prepared and ready because you put the work in, 
but um, because you're mentally ready to be there uh, to see what you're made of, but to contribute to your team. Mm -hmm. And um, it's interesting, my very first race, um, I would say my first, first love was ballet. I did that for years and years. Um, but I ran my first race when I was eight years old. And so that same picture with my grandmother is the picture just before we left for the race. And um, if you're looking at it, I'm rocking some knee-high socks. It's pretty ex exciting. Twin uh, socks. <laughs> <laughs> but I was determined to... Um, to win that race because the first place boy and girl got their picture in the newspaper. And I thought that was the coolest thing. So I lined up in the front and it was on this kind of wide gravel road and the gun went off and I went down <laughs> and I, I went down. Oh, I no. got completely trampled. Um, I had bloody knees. My grandma was there. I, oh, I remember God. this amazingly strong man, like reaching in and pulling me out because oh, I was literally God. getting run over. And um, so I never finished race. Okay, what and, was that lesson? Do you think you were maybe too confident, overly confident, or what? What do you think the lesson was there for that to have happened? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think I was not prepared. Not prepared <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Um, I didn't belong in the fronts, <laughs> um, but not you know, yet. Not, not yet. yet. But I think what I love about that story is yeah I got knocked down but I got back up and I came back the next year and I did win that fun run oh, awesome. so it was it's one of those things where again I think sports is just this beautiful um metaphor for life I think it it, is. it brings people together there's a shared passion commitment um grit resiliency it's what we look to and we are so inspired by you know, team USA athletes and um, to whether you're a weekend warrior or, you know, you, you ran in college and it's still something that you love. It's, it's shaped every aspect. Um, I also, you know, you, know you, you asked about Germany and, and so because I was there my junior year, I didn't post any times. And then my senior year, when I came back, I got really sick and I was hospitalized right before, um, uh, state. And so I did not have any, any scores, any points up on the board to show what I was capable of. Uh -huh. um, my um, high school track coach um, always spoke very, very highly of Coach Hart at Baylor University. And I was a little bit obsessed about running for him. Uh, he trained Michael Johnson, Jeremy Warner, all throughout their, their careers as gold medalists. And um, his character and ethics as a coach um, really drew me to the school. Um, so chose Baylor, um, international business and marketing, minored in German, um, thought I was gonna be a foreign diplomat after experiencing the Berlin Wall come down. And um, I had to walk onto that team. I didn't have numbers to post. Wow. And I remember I had to earn my place there. And it was one of the more um, impactful times of my life of truly, it was like suddenly having hundreds of <laughs> brothers and sisters and, and the hard work and resiliency and the time management. And, and, you know, I ran cross country indoor and outdoor tracks. So we raced pretty much every weekend with the exception of one. And so I truly did have to learn to manage my time to make sure that I continue to get the top grades that I could. And that every time I stepped on the line that I was prepared to stay upright throughout the race <laughs> and, and finish and score for the team. Yeah. Um, you know what, what 
we have to go into our first break. When we come back, I'm going to start with a quote that kind of speaks to what you're describing. Um, stay with us. I'll be back with Jenna Karath. Um, our watch team's coming up next. We are CHOP. And we can't wait to show you around. We're the nation's first children's hospital. Now, a care network with more than 50 locations that continues to expand. Three state-of-the-art research buildings with 1.5 million square feet of space. We have grown from 12 beds 165 years ago to nearly 600 beds and one of the best children's hospitals in the world. We have a level one trauma center 11 floors of patient units, more than 20 operating rooms, first-of-its-kind delivery unit for babies with birth defects, a separate cardiac operative and catheterization suite, and places to learn, like our internationally recognized simulation center. We have trained generations of leaders in the field of pediatrics. We are world leaders in medicine, surgery, and science one of the top recipients in NIH funding for pediatric research. In this building, pioneers in CAR-T therapy, mitochondrial disease, brain tumors, hyperinsulinism, and other rare diseases. Here, groundbreaking work in fetal surgery, genetics and genomics, and neurology. In our newest building, leaders in social determinants of health, clinical informatics and epidemiology, autism, trauma, and injury prevention. Our patients come from every state and 115 countries. These challenges requires the best and the brightest. We are passionate about pediatrics. We are motivated to make a difference in the world and in our community. We are a team. We are CHOP. stream on a Roku, a Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. Watch Action News Live. And the big story on Action News. Plus special programming, breaking news, and severe weather updates. Tremendous amounts of rain. Always on. Always the news team you trust. Watch 6ABC 24-7 on your streaming device. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the show. I'm speaking with Jenna Karath this week. Um, Jenna is Vice President of Startup Development, and she also leads Comcast NBC Universal's Sports Tech, um, which we're going to be talking about in just a few minutes. I, you know, in light of what you were talking about before we went into break, I wanted to start this segment with a quote. Um, you said, I don't see myself as a risk taker. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think of myself as very measured, 
I try to blend vision and practicality. And I, you know, I think, first of all, I think that speaks to your self-awareness, right? So you've done that introspection for sure. And I wonder how, you know, in, especially in the field you're in where things are happening and changing so very quickly, how do you do, how do you balance that, you know, the vision, the innovation, the excitement for, for moving things forward and discovering, but also being practical at the same time? Yeah, I think it goes back to being really clear about the why. Um, and that's really articulating the goals. What, what's the vision and what are you marching towards? And then coming up with a very pragmatic plan to get there and execute it every day. What's interesting about our Comcast NBCU sports tech program is it's essentially a, my dream job that I got to architect out of nothing. Um, it was a little idea, um, had no funding, put together a business plan, um, really stood back and looked at why is sports so important to our business? We've made incredible investments in media rights. We have the opportunity to tell the stories of our Team USA athletes through 2032. Um, WWE chose Peacock to be their streaming home. You don't have a 24 by seven golf channel without a really deep relationship with PGA Tour. And so I stepped back and looked at how do we build off of those media rights and those sponsorship investments? How do we continue to push our sports products and fan experiences much further along? And we do have a, a history of this at Comcast of, of really investing in startups. It helps to keep that entrepreneurial mindset alive within the company. Uh, Ralph Roberts began the company. Brian Roberts leads it today. And he was the true entrepreneur at his heart and his core. But when you get to a company of our size and scale, it's a little hard to shift. Yet the world, to your point, <laughs> the dynamics of it are changing constantly. And so by investing in startups, working alongside with them, we have an opportunity to test and pilot that technology and really um, bring about more innovative um, discovery so that we're not just making incremental changes to the experience, but we're really pushing ourselves beyond the status quo. And so I get to live at this intersection of sports and technology and work with these entrepreneurial founders. You get definitely a contact high off of their entrepreneurial spirit. And just to be a part of that, um, that journey of really challenging assumptions to build a sustainable business. Um, we invest in those companies. Truly, the North Star is uh, we have an opportunity to pilot that technology, uh, license it, integrate it into the business, acquire it, um, that early lens of shaping what that looks like. So we're at the forefront of, of owning the future of sports versus um, you know, trying to catch up, if you will. And I always say that at the end of the day, these founders have an opportunity not just to work with NBC Sports and Sky Sports and you know, we own the Flyers and Wells Fargo Center, but we brought in PGA Tour, WWE, NASCAR, um, and three Olympic teams to, again, build off of those media rights and sponsorship investments. So as a founder, you get an opportunity to test and pilot your technology across different teams, leagues, organizations that de-risks that initial investment because you're not locked into a single sport, um, but you're really challenging assumptions and building a sustainable business and finding product market fit by working with these decision makers. And if it's relevant and significant enough to our business, solving a problem we're solving and we're willing to pay for it, that is revenue going back into that organization, that startup. It de-risks that initial investment and it brings fans closer to the 
the sports the athletes that they love. Yeah. You know, you're fun finding and funding and supporting um, entrepreneurs and startups globally. And I was curious if you've noticed anything culturally that is different between entrepreneurs, you know, in Europe or entrepreneurs from the Middle East or, you know, as opposed to entrepreneurs um, here in the U.S.? Was there anything striking? Oh, it's a very interesting question. Say some of the really um, successful teams have have come out of Toronto, and you read all about this all the time. That it is very much a, a tech hub. Um, a lot of big, large tech organizations have satellite offices there, um, have invested in companies there. So we've seen incredible talent come out of the Toronto area in particular. Um, but I think what's interesting, you look at our current cohort, 50% of them are international companies, and a lot of them are looking, they've had tremendous success in their country, but they're looking to make it within the United States. And it is a very difficult ecosystem to break into. And it's just this reminder that, well, sports and love of sports can blur boundaries and bring people together. There are still fundamentally different business challenges on both sides of the pond, if you will. Mm -hmm. And it's really ingrained in our program to um, challenge your beliefs on things, um, to really test and experiment uh, and learn from that so that you can deeply understand what your customer needs and wants. That's how you find sustainable product market fit. And, um, and so when we're deciding the 10 companies to bring on board. It's really our sports partners that are with us in that process, scoring and interviewing and asking all those challenging questions. But at the end of the day, we are investing first and foremost in those founders, a belief that it's a problem worth solving and that's the team to do it. And we look for coachability. Mm -hmm. We look for all of those aspects that, um, that Coach Hart looked for. He would always say, he would recruit for good citizens first, great athletes second, because when you're building a team, that is, it's the character of people. It is the shared values. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, a real strong anchoring in the why that, that really drives something that is uh, mission-driven and sustainable. Yeah. Um, I would imagine some of our viewers, they know what technology represents. They know what sports is. But when they hear the, the phrase sports tech, they might not know what that even means. So, you know, talk about that. And, and if there's anything up and coming or that you're excited about that's perhaps a new product coming out in the field? Yes, absolutely. So you're right. When you talk about sports tech, just wrapping your arms around it, it's a much more massive um, investment category than one would expect. We actually have eight strategic investment areas. So that's everything from media and entertainment. And that is really how do we help um, improve the efficiency of production, of storytelling, so that we can personalize content, we can bring things that are more relevant across all these different digital platforms that we have, or remote technology, uh, remote production, which became critical um, during COVID when even sports went on pause and we had to figure out a way to, to still bring us the games that we loved. And so that's a huge category for us. Uh, venue and event innovation is another big category. If you look at the Comcast business side, we um, provide connectivity and advanced networking in 144 stadiums in the United States. They are definitely some of the most challenging places because you have such a concentration of fans that come together and are, are using their technology and wanting to experience and get as close to the athletes as possible. Um, and so if you can solve something at the scale of a stadium or uh, a NASCAR racetrack that can hold 17 football fields in the infield, you know you have something uh, that is, is um, of value. Uh, fantasy and sports betting. Uh, you're seeing so much more of that of micro betting and um, giving fans different reasons for tuning in and a different appreciation for the, the nuances of each sport. Uh, athlete and player performance is another huge category. Obviously, with um, three Olympic teams, we have USA Swimming, Ski and Snowboard, and Cycling. Um, giving those Team USA athletes every um, bit of technology to help them on their path to the podium is critical. Um, those are the stories that, you know, every two years, we love for those 17 days to be inspired by what they can accomplish. And um, the technology stories behind that just add to that tapestry of, of um, storytelling that we're so proud of as a company. Um, but it's, you know, business of sports, it's esports. So there's a lot of different categories there. And at the end of the day, I love those opportunities where you can bring as much innovation in the living room experience as you can in a stadium. And so that's different camera angles, or it's the ability to listen to the commentary for broadcasting while you're there in the venue so that you have the best of both worlds. Um, we have companies in this cohort that are tech for good and are bringing people together, um, cohorts of people that um, you know, are, are bringing fans in and supporting different causes. So we, we look for things that really um, are impactful to the business and can unlock new revenue. Um, deliver on cost savings, operational efficiencies. Those are really the key markers. So any 
any of the 10 companies that we choose coming through, um, it's, it's because we have line of sight of how we're going to test and pilot it. Multiple sports partners are engaged, they're leaning in, they want to learn, they want to um, innovate alongside these founders. And um, they have an opportunity to build something that you know, millions of people get to experience just through their love of sports. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting. I, in preparing for this interview, I came across an article and you might already be familiar with it. Um, two, two gentlemen, I think, developed an app that allows you to order your food in advance of an event <laughs> so that you don't leave and stand in a concession line for 40 minutes and miss a home run. Yes. In fact, that was the inspiration. Um, um, yes, Aaron was missed the big moment. And, um, and it was really about like, how do we make that experience in the stadium so unforgettable that you have to be there, that you are in your seat loving and, and experiencing every moment. Yeah. Um, and that's another interesting example of a company that we had been nurturing that relationship since 2020 when we announced the the um, sports tech program. And it was really, you know, when sports went on pause and we were slowly getting fans back in the stadiums, it was a challenge for us to answer the question, could we really test and pilot this technology? There were so many unknowns within bringing fans back. And this year and their advancement in terms of what they're already doing for the New York Mets, um, they have integrations in with Uber Eats already. So they're sort of behind the scenes um, delivering on, on um, you know, mobile ordering and in-seat delivery already. You just don't necessarily know the rivalry check name. And so that's been a really exciting one to see, well, how do we change that in other areas? Like, how do you make that a much more immersive fan experience when you're you know, on a, at a tournament, a golf tournament? How do we um, make that a better, more seamless experience? It's obviously relevant for Wells Fargo and our flyers. So, um, and this is a team that's also really making strides in other verticals. And so you'll see this a lot where you get your entrenchment in sports, but there are other um, relevant fields that we see a lot of crossover in. Uh, military is one of them, but they in particular are really getting entrenched within the hospitality space. And again, hospitality, um, hospital systems, these are all- I was just gonna say healthcare, I bet. Healthcare, exactly. All places, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I want to, we only have a, a few minutes. I want to talk more about you and you're a mother. You mentioned your daughter and in this crazy world of technology that we live in, um, AI's here, it's coming. Yes. It's, it's, tell me what, what do you worry about most for her growing up, um, her generation, what they will have to kind of be navigating? Yeah, I think I look a lot at my niece and nephew and I shared with, um, you know, Kayla writing the sweet note to her brother, but they grew up in that generation of social media before we really knew sort of what the pluses and minuses of that can be. And you've seen a lot of the data about um, for girls in particular, um, that it is really hard on their self-esteem, body image. Um, so I worry about that. I think um, growing up, if you... Um, you know, if something disappointing happened at school, it kind of stayed on the playground. There wasn't this necessarily a digital trail. And, um, you know, I worry about, she's wired a little bit like me to be a perfectionist. And, um, and that can be something that you can keep revisiting. And, um, and 
and it can be harmful if it's not managed in a good way. So I, I constantly say to her, like, you know, you want to be a great cyber citizen the same way that you are a great friend. Um, be careful what you say. It lives out there forever. And, and treat others with kindness and, and the love that, that they deserve and that you yourself deserve. And um, so I, I think technology can be a beautiful thing. It can be a uniting thing. Um, but, you know, we, we constantly have to see how society embraces technology. And, um, and in today's day and age in particular, you know, learn the fundamentals around understanding your source. Where are you getting your information from? Um, be open-minded. Be a voracious reader. Um, take in a lot of different viewpoints. Um, I think having um, curiosity uh, will always keep your mind open to listening and understanding different people's perspectives. And, and people have a voice now and a way to put that out there. And I think if it can be a very beautiful and uniting thing if used in the right way. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. And, and lastly, are you, your perfectionism, are you working on that? Are you trying to give yourself more grace and not, you know, put so much pressure Yes, definitely trying to give myself more grace there. I think that's the the beauty as a as a parent, you um, you get a constant reminder to embrace the advice you yourself give, and she can be hard on herself the same way that I am, and having those moments of would you ever say something like that to your friend Rory, and her response I would never I would never speak to her that way. Like then speak to yourself with that same kindness. And, you know, I think it helps as you get older, you have a lot more life experiences to draw on. This too shall pass, as my grandmother said. Yeah, um, and I shared right. at the beginning <laughs> yeah. that you have that perspective. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, look, as far as we know, we only get one go around. You might as well, you know, get on the line, give it all that you can. Um, as Brene Brown says, get in the arena and see what you're made of and um, and make a lasting mark on the world. And if our daughter can can do that in her own way as the kind, loving, thoughtful girl that she is and remain curious, I think those are the people that contribute and um, add value every day and make, make our world a better place. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think she will. I'm sure she will. Um, Jenna, thanks so much for taking time out of your schedule um, to share your story and be with us today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Sue. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Stay with us now for our watch team and we will be right back. Action News, celebrating 50 years with AccuWeather. If you think severe weather has been on the rise, you are correct. In the last three years, tornado warnings in our region have shattered records. With 52 last year alone, half of those warnings resulted in confirmed tornadoes, including two extremely rare EF3s. Thanks for always trusting us to keep you informed. 50 Years of AccuWeather is sponsored by Independence Blue Cross. Choose coverage you can count on with the region's strongest network. Is the best vacation one that you find? or one you get lost in, one that takes you to new heights or reminds you to go with the flow, to get your feet wet and your wheels spinning, one that lets you find your own rhythm or get carried away. Find the best of yourself. Get lost in the woods. Plan your stay in the wild woods today. From Philadelphia to the Lehigh Valley and everywhere in between, 
For 150 years, Penn Community Bank has been a part of your neighborhood. Helping businesses start, supporting families as they grow, and staying connected to the people and places that make this region special. It's who we are and where we're from. Penn Community Bank. Here we are, and here we grow. There's a moment every hour, every day, every week. These moments shape our world. They add color, perspective, and sometimes pain. Moments are meant to be shared. Shared by friends, family, people you trust. At Action News, we cherish every moment. And it's our profound responsibility to bring you closer to your world. Never miss a moment. Trust the people at Action News. Do you stream on a Roku, a Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. Watch Action News Live. And the big story on Action News. Plus special programming, breaking news, and severe weather updates. Tremendous amounts of rain. Always on. Always the news team you trust. Watch 6ABC 24-7 on your streaming device. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. Welcome to the Lifestyle segment of Women to Watch. I'm Sherry Morrison. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing Victoria Wilson, Operations Director of Sharing Excess. Welcome to the show, Victoria. Hi, Sherry. Thank you so much for having me. I am so honored to be here. Oh, my pleasure. So Victoria is local to the Philadelphia and the surrounding area. Victoria, please tell us a little bit about where you're from and your education. Yeah, uh, so I am originally from Westchester. So I've been in the Philly area my whole life. I went to Drexel University and there I studied entertainment and arts management. Oh. And then after you studied arts and entertainment at Drexel, you headed to New York City? Yeah, uh, shortly after graduation, I got a job as a receptionist in New York City. I was there for not even a year uh, until COVID hit, and then I kind of bounced on back here to Philly. Okay. So this was COVID time when you came back to Philly, um, yes. you came home to shelter. Can you tell, tell us a little bit about your journey and, and what happened once you got home? Yeah. Uh, so I came back to Philly because of COVID. New York was not the best place to be. Um, and I uh, was with my friend Evan at the time and uh, we were together when uh, all of the food businesses in the area started to shut down and, and close their doors and they weren't able uh, to serve any food that they had prepped. Um, and so they started calling Evan, who had started the organization Sharing Access. And him and I kind of hopped in a van and we went around from food business to food business, uh, literally rescuing food for the next 48 hours um, yeah. and delivering all of that to local food banks. Very cool. So that kind of started just before the holidays in 2018. Evan mm -hmm. was still attending Drexel and you were up in New York and he had a uh, somewhat of a life-changing day. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that experience that led to sharing excess? Yeah, for sure. So uh, when Evan was a student at Drexel, uh, one semester was about to end and he realized that he had 15 meal swipes left in his signing account that were going to go unused. Um, they weren't going to roll over to the next term, so he figured he'd swipe all of them out. He put all of the meals in his car and went to Center City and gave it out to literally anybody who needed a meal. Um, he likes to say that that was a day that changed his life forever. And he started to realize, you know, if I have this much personal access in my life, how much personal access does everybody else around me have? And why aren't we doing anything about it? 
Yeah. So he started after that, he realizing the other kids had the same issue and unused meal plans. He started a combined account. How was that handled? Like how did, what happened with the food and the meal plans? Yeah. uh, That was kind of the day that the concept of sharing access was born. So he brought that um, as a formal business uh, plan to Drexel university and said, Hey, you know, how can we get other students to donate meal swipes as well? I'm sure others have ones that aren't going used. And so they created this collective account where people and students could donate their meal swipes and those meal swipes would be reallocated to students who may need a meal. Oh, that's great. So it was going to other kids on campus who couldn't afford meal plans necessarily. Yeah, exactly. That's great. Um, And then more started to take off with friends who worked at grocery stores and restaurants. You call it the retail rescue program. Please explain what happens with the food from this program. Definitely. Uh, So word kind of got around about what Evan was doing and local food businesses where he had friends who were cashiers started calling and saying, hey, you know, we have banana boxes full of food and it's uh, either going to be thrown out, but I figured I'd give you a call, see if you can do anything with it. So he would again hop in his car and go and pick up this food and literally would Google the nearest uh, hunger relief organization or shelter and drop that food off there. And that became somewhat of a regular occurrence. Um, And the closer he got with these food businesses, the more he realized how much waste or food surplus they really were experiencing. Um, So decided to turn that into a formal retail rescue program uh, and pick up from these food businesses on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And then at this point, he needed help with pickups and deliveries and vehicles. So who did he contact for? Did he buy trucks or what happened? Uh, yeah, it, it kind of started with um, actually asking a local food bank to lend us a van for a little bit until we were able to get our own. But uh, it was a network of students who were helping out at first and also uh, just individuals that were volunteering with their personal vehicles. So once we got enough uh, to fundraise for our own vehicle, that was a big day. Uh, but we were able to send a van that would go around to, uh, you know, 10 or 12 grocery stores in one day and pick up all of that food and deliver it to a network of hunger relief organizations throughout the city. That's fantastic. I, I know I had a food manufacturing company for 24 years and mostly soups that I fresh soups that I would manufacture. And every once in a while, I mean, it was very close to. Um, me and operations and tracking everything. So I didn't have a lot of waste and things to get rid of. But every once in a while, you know, a, a batch of something wouldn't sell like we expected it to, or somebody would cancel an order. And I would have some excess that I would like to get rid of. And I would call the food bank, but they weren't interested in the larger quantities. Like they wanted me to break it down into pints and quarts to distribute, mm-hmm. which was very labor intensive for me. Plus, I didn't have supplies of that size container I was packaging in gallon and a half like cryovac type bags mm-hmm. so there was a real need for not to mention if there were any leftover vegetables that you know for some reason didn't get used up so it, it would have been a great service to have back then and I and I know a lot of manufacturers especially out in that area could still use some help with uh, getting rid of some of their excess food because not being in the city it's just not accessible to Um, a lot of food banks and distributors. Definitely. And uh, an interesting thing is, you know, food banks are really, really good at distributing food and knowing where the need is in their community. It's not always up to them uh, to be the ones that are rescuing the food. So that's kind of where we come in. We're really filling that gap 
uh, and trying to be as helpful as possible to these food businesses uh, for taking all of their food, packaging it if we need to, uh, and then redistributing that and actually giving it to the food banks so that they can uh, really spend time on doing what they know best, which is distributing that food and getting it out to people who need it. Yeah, what a wonderful service you're providing. So um, you're two years into this now, three years? Yeah, I'm uh, three years into this now. Yeah, so how often is someone going out and picking up and delivering food? Uh, every single day we have a, a team of drivers uh, who are in you know, box trucks, vans, we even have volunteers in personal vehicles. Uh, and we are picking up from all of the major grocers in the Philadelphia area. And then we also have some grocers uh, down in Baltimore and in the DC area. So every day, you know, uh, in the morning, they go to these stores, they pick up the food and then they deliver it to a network of hunger relief organizations. Great. And you've been tracking the numbers since 2020. And because yes. the numbers are staggering, <laughs> please listen as I read some of these off. First, approximately 40% of our food supply is tossed and considered waste. That's huge. Um, to date, Sharing Excess has rescued 14,600,000 pounds of food from grocers, restaurants, wholesalers, and farmers, and delivered it to over 180 nonprofits and food banks. That's a retail value of about $27 million and 54 million pounds of CO2 diverted from landfills. If this was done all around Philadelphia, and the surrounding area, do you think there would still be a need of people going hungry? Uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting question. I think there's always going to be some level of hunger, you could say. You know, even in the morning, if I don't have anything for breakfast, I could be considered hungry at that uh, point. But there is definitely more than enough food to go around. The issue is access to food. So, you know, taking uh, that food that is surplus from point A and bringing it to point B where it's needed. Um, we're actually wasting more than double the amount of food that we would need to theoretically end food insecurity. So what we're really trying to address at Sharing Access is that point of access and how do we increase those access points all throughout the city and really give people an opportunity to get this food. Yeah, I'm sure you get a lot of help from the colleges in the area. Uh, is there someone you would like to reach out to who you think would be most impactful and helpful to the city of Philadelphia? Uh, yeah, honestly, like reaching any food businesses or um, any like financial supporters that are able to uh, allow us to expand and grow throughout the area is always huge. Uh, but also students are really big. So we started on a college campus. We are still working with a lot of students. We have chapters at about 20 universities uh, all throughout the United States. So students are really, really passionate and driven and able to uh, kind of mobilize themselves to do this work. So yeah, always, always looking for passionate students. Yeah, and corporate social responsibility is so huge now. It's such a buzzword and yeah. um, CSR, such a, an acronym that you see everywhere. Um, it's great for kids to get a taste of this now. Um, so what's next? Is there anyone or any group our listeners can reach out to who may be helpful with your mission or growth? Or wh where are you? where are you headed? Uh, we are headed wherever the, the wind may take us. And I say that because we really follow the food sources. So uh, when any major food donor or even just, you know, larger or smaller uh, has food that they want to donate, we're able to get there. So uh, wherever that may bring us this year, we are looking to expand uh, up in New York and throughout uh, different states where there are large produce terminals and also just a lot of aggregated food businesses in one area. So 
Um, that is kind of what 2023 is going to look like for us. A lot of expanding throughout, throughout the United yeah, I think States. You, I think you were headed to DC when we were chatting on the phone. Yeah, um, exactly. I, I hope you were successful. We were, we were. We just started working with a few Trader Joe's stores down there. So oh, uh, fantastic. Just getting the ball rolling. They are a fantastic company that donates uh, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of pounds of food every year. So um, just, you know, testing out the water of the operations down there and everything went uh, smoothly, very, very smoothly. Great. Well, this is a very big and aggressive mission that you have. Best of luck and thank you for all you do and for joining us today. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure being here. Our pleasure. So for more information about Victoria, sharing excess and making donations, food and monetary, organizing a pickup or delivery or volunteering, go to www.sharingexcess.com. Sue will be right back to close out the show. Ladies, keep Hi, this is Sue Rocco. Women to Watch is pleased to share a clip from Breaking Through, a podcast hosted by Madeline Bell, the president and CEO of Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. This interview is part of a series in which Madeline interviews CHOPs women scientists about what inspires them and advice they have for other women interested in pursuing science and medicine careers. My guest today is Dr. Diva DeLeon. Dr. DeLeon is Chief of the Division of Endocrinology and Diabetes at CHOP. She is also co-director of a frontier program that is focused on developing new treatments for a rare disease called congenital hyperinsulinism. Did you have any role models or mentors along the way once you chose your path as a physician? Particularly, I can remember a pediatric resident. So this resident gave me opportunities to develop some new skills as a medical student that some of my peers did, did not have the opportunity to develop. And I think that was important for me to see the path in front of me and to make me feel confident in my decision of becoming a pediatrician. Let's get back to a little bit about your work and your research. Can you tell our listeners what is congenital hyperinsulinism? It's basically the opposite to diabetes. So in diabetes, your blood sugar is high because you do not produce enough insulin. In hyperinsulinism, your blood sugar is low because you produce too much insulin. What would happen to a child in the future if their hyperinsulinism was not treated? Failure of brain function that in the short term can manifest with a seizure and even death. To hear more of Madeline's interviews with CHOP's amazing doctors and scientists, listen to Breaking Through with Madeline Bell, available wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. That is it for uh, Women to Watch this week. Thank you, as always, to Katiri and all of our sponsors for helping us to bring you the show each week. Um, next week, I'm going to be talking to Carolyn Carluccio Tornetta. I love that name. Um, Carolyn is uh, running for Supreme Court Judge of Pennsylvania. Have a great week, everyone. Now, the Women to Watch, Military Watch. Hi, I'm Carol Eggert, Senior Vice President of Military Affairs at Comcast, NBC Universal. You know, Seriously, last year, the U.S. Army fell short of its recruitment goal by 15,000 soldiers. 
the other branches of our nation's military are experiencing similar challenges. Now, how can the military position itself as an attractive experience for current and future generations? As military leaders address these issues on the front end, there are ways civilians can support those efforts on the back end. Less than 20% of those who serve make the military a lifelong career. The vast majority wish to take the skills they've learned, the talents they've refined, and the education they received into the civilian workforce. That's why it's important for employers to continue their efforts in recruiting and retaining military community talent. For those who choose to leave the military, knowing their military experiences are understood, valued, and sought after by employers could influence whether these highly talented and dedicated people choose to serve our nation. And our nation has made incredible strides in understanding the skills, experiences, and spirit people with military experience bring to our workplaces. None more so than in the last 15 to 20 years, as our nation's military was in the forefront of people's minds throughout the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. At Comcast NBC Universal, our military hiring goal has forever changed our company's workplace culture for the better. It will remain a significant part of our organization's commitment to serving the military community. If you're motivated to recruit and retain military talent, PsychArmor has a series of free online courses for employers. Just go to psycharmor.org to learn more. It's the number one news at 10 p.m. Action news on PHL 17. Join Shari Williams, Gray Hall, Deuces Rogers, and meteorologist Adam Joseph for all the big stories at a time that's right for you. Action news at 10 p.m. on PHL 17. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.